So um, great. So we are, we are in a series on hope has a name. And last week, Bill looked at the life of Joseph and Bill explored the idea of kind of that retribution model of like when somebody does something wrong, there's retribution. And that he suggested that maybe a new way forward is to look at the possibility that God was introducing the eye of restoration. And that even though something happened in the Christmas story that might be perceived as scandalous, God invited Joseph to step into a new way and, and Bill invited us to consider erring on the side of grace, which feels very much like who we are, that we wanna be a people who err on the side of grace, a people who are open and receptive, a place that's welcoming of all people to come in and discover this hope that we call Jesus. And so we wanna invite people into this life-giving relationship of following Jesus. So somebody came to me this morning and said, let me guess, you're preaching this morning because I have the little Beyonce mic on right here. <laughs> and then he said, let me guess, we're talking about Mary. And I said, ding, 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 ding. We are talking about Mary this morning. So we're gonna look into the life of Mary and in a particular part of the Christmas narrative, we're gonna focus our attention on Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. And this is what is called Mary's Magnificat. And Mary's Magnificat, if you look at that word Magnificat and break it down, it is simply an utterance of praise. So some call this Mary's song and how Mary sings this song matters for us today. I think we need Mary's spirit more than ever in the world that we live in today. Of all the uncertainty and the chaos swirling around, Mary's song has something to say for all of us this morning. So we're gonna lean into that song. And the perception around Mary sometimes is that Mary is meek and mild and kind of hides back in the shadows. But what I'm gonna suggest this morning is that Mary is the kind of woman who once she starts singing, it actually turns from praise into a roar. So we're gonna go from praise to a roar and we're gonna see the spirit of Mary and how Mary shows us how power comes into the world, what power looks like, and then ultimately how to receive the ultimate gift because Mary's posture of how she receives the gift tells us a lot about how we too, in turn, can receive the ultimate gift of Christmas, and that is Jesus. But before we read the text this morning, here's what I would like to do. I wanna take us up about 30,000 feet, okay? So put your seatbelts on. We're gonna go up to about 30,000 feet, and we're gonna look down at the landscape of the Christmas narrative and the story so that when we read the text, we'll have a better understanding of just how powerful these words are that Mary utters and that she sings. So here we go, 30,000 feet to give us a deeper appreciation of the Christmas narrative and the story of Jesus coming into the world. So since 586 BC, a succession of empires have ruled over the Jewish people. So we've had the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then when you get into the Christmas story in the beginning of the gospel narrative, you see that the Romans are now over the Jewish people. They're ruling and reigning. So once again, God's people find themselves under the rule and reign of yet another superpower. So for example, when you read the opening narrative in Matthew's gospel, chapter two, verse one, in that first verse, 
it'll say during the time of King Herod. Now the author wants us to know something specific. So when you're reading these stories in the New Testament and you see a line and you think, what is going on there? That means that the lights on the dashboard are clicking. You need to pay attention. The author is trying to draw us to something, to teach us something, to give us perspective of what's going on in the story. So during the time of King Herod, God decides this is when I wanna break into humanity's story. God coming in human flesh and bone through the life of Jesus. So during the time of King Herod, that means that, that King Herod was appointed by the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire is ruling and reigning over the Jewish people and over Mary and her community. As you can probably imagine, the Jews had very strong feelings about their oppressors, much similar to how Palestinians feel about Israelis today. Jewish people wanted to be free. They wanted to have their own land. They wanted to live in accordance and have the kind of freedom that they believed that God was granting to them. And among the Jewish people, there was a deep hope embedded in their songs and their scriptures, in their prayers and their utterances that one day, God was going to send them a deliverer and this deliverer was gonna lead them from captivity into freedom. So imagine this with me. You are a God-fearing nation of people. You believe that God is larger, greater than all the other gods. You believe that from your history and from the songs and from your scriptures, that this God has led you into victory before, and yet you find yourself being ruled and dominated by yet another superpower who believes differently than you. They have different gods, different deities that they bow to. Imagine what this would do to your sense of hope with the understanding that our God is greater than the other gods. And yet here we are once again, being dominated, being forced, being taxed to death by these other superpowers during the time of King Herod. This is when Jesus breaks into human history. This is when Mary receives the news that she's going to bear the Christ child. So this is a world full of Roman propaganda and, and images swirling around the people. And then you had the Caesars, the emperors, and the Caesars were out there divinizing themselves. They were making these proclamations that we are sent from above down to earth. We are God in flesh, human flesh and bone here to show you the way to peace. Caesar Augustus, for example, who ruled from 27 BC to AD 14, he articulated his good news like this. Check this out. The good news according to Caesar Augustus, divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world has brought you peace. Now leave that up there for a moment. The good news, according to Caesar Augustus, this is how he articulated his good news. Son of God, imperator of land and sea. An imperator is somebody who rules over not only the people and the nation, but also the land itself, creation, and then the Caesar is proclaiming that he is the controller over the sea, which like makes you think for a moment, if you go forward in the Jesus story and you see Jesus on a boat with his disciples. And during that time, there's a storm that comes up on the land. They're all freaking out. Jesus stands and what does he say? Be still, be calm. 
and the sea obeys his command. Now that's a whole nother sermon we can get to in later. But if you think about that, the response to Jesus is, who is this that even the seas obey his command? Ooh, it's like we're up against something. And then the benefactor, the provider, and the savior of the whole world, the reason why you are experiencing prosperity and peace and you have food on your table and your family is flourishing is because of Caesar. Caesar, the benefactor of the savior of the whole world, has brought you peace. This is the kind of propaganda that Mary's people are up against. This is swirling around, all around their reality. Imagine what this is doing to their psyche. Imagine what this is doing to their sense of hope when people are making the proclamation that we pledge our allegiance to Caesar. Caesar is the one who is leading us to peace. And then Mary offers up what we call an utterance of praise up against this narrative. Question, how did Caesar and Rome bring about peace on earth and goodwill to men, to people? How did Caesar bring peace? Through coercive force. So the Romans would march into all the world, into lands and dominate, and they would demand that you pay your allegiance to Caesar that you pay your offerings to Caesar, that you give up everything for Caesar because, because of Caesar, you're experiencing peace. You're, you're experiencing prosperity. Rome also had the strongest military presence in the world. And each time they conquered, the military would expand. And so stronger military presence meant we're number one and they would dominate place after place after place. And their desire was to conquer, to invade, to crush, to bring about peace on earth through coercive force. And get this, Rome built their military headquarters just a little bit higher than Israel's temple just a little bit higher, just to let everybody know, hey, we're number one, we're stronger, our gods are greater than your God. So it would appear on the surface that all of these people who believe in many different gods, they're the ones being blessed, not God's people, not the Jews. They're the ones who are experiencing prosperity, not us, which then leads us to talk about tribes for a moment. Mary's tribe that she came from believed that they were chosen by God. They were chosen, God chose them, and he chose them to move out into the world and show them what God was like. And remember that all the other tribes around them believed in many different gods, because why would you limit yourself to just one God? More, more gods equals more power, right? So you have the God of food and the God of war and the God of air and water and, and sky and rock and dirt, all these different gods, because what they wanted was to win at all cost. And up against these narratives, Mary's people kept insisting that there's one God, that this God is greater than all the other gods, that our God is higher, our God is stronger, our God is a God of hope, our God is deeply embedded in who we are as people. In fact, Mary's people were forbidden to even make a graven image of their God because this God couldn't be created by human hands. And in a fascinating twist of this kind of thinking, God says, no, 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 you are created in my image. Don't make me, I make you. This God is for people. 
This God is with people. This God moves into relationship with people because this is the kind of God that infuses hope into his people and he moves into their midst. But here again is the problem, my friends. What happens when you find yourselves on the bottom once again? How do you hold on to hope? How do you hold on to the dream that God is coming, that God is going to do something, that God is going to break into human history? And that's where we're at in the story. So I want to read out of Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. It'll be up on the screen for us to follow along. This is Mary's Magnificat. This is her response after she receives the news that she's going to bring hope into the world, hope being Jesus. And she says, my soul proclaims your greatness. Oh God, my spirit rejoices in you, my savior. For you have looked with favor on your lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. You, the almighty, have done great things for me and holy is your name. You have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. This is the word coming to Mary from God down into her heart. So this girl, Mary, probably about 13-ish at the time, receives this news amidst all the uncertainty, amidst all the hopelessness that's swirling around their people. And here's the thing. The angel of the Lord appears to Mary and says this to her out of Luke chapter one, verse 32, that he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And it gets better, friends. His kingdom will never end. Now put this up against Caesar Augustus's good news that we read earlier, his kingdom will never end. And that other proclamation of good news, divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world has brought you peace as long as you submit to our way of how we define peace. And what Mary is saying is that the justice of God is breaking into human history and that the king is coming because she's got an expectancy she knows from her narratives and from her scriptures and all the songs and the prayers that have been sung over her from time that she was young up until this point that God is going to break into human history and that the good news of Jesus is coming and that God chooses Mary, somebody out in the margins, a 13-year-old girl, somebody who's in poverty and oppression and says, this is how I'm choosing to break into the world. I'm going to redefine what power actually looks like and to infuse hope back into my people. And so the king is coming. Now, I think we can assume that when Mary receives this news, she's got all kinds of questions. She's like, well, I'm not pregnant yet. I haven't been with Joseph. How's this gonna play out? And the Holy Spirit says, well, this is how it's gonna go. The Holy Spirit will come and overshadow you. Okay, well, that's simple. Overshadow you. She takes in the information. She processes it and check out what she says in response to this invitation. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And John Woolner's interpretation of that is let's do this. 
Let's do it. Let's go. I knew you were always coming. Mary didn't need to be convinced. Mary just needed confirmation. Something that she knew deep down inside, embedded in her bones, she knew that the king was coming. So why not me? Why not? Because that, that seems to fit the character and the nature of who this God is, is he's coming and he's breaking into human history. Okay, let's do this. Let's go. I'm convinced. I knew you were always coming. She wasn't sitting around waiting to be convinced. Mary, all she needed was some confirmation. And the moment she got the confirmation, she says, I'm all in. Jesus is breaking into the world. It's like, prepare yourselves, friends, because Jesus is coming. Prepare yourselves. Jesus is coming. We're two weeks out until Christmas. Prepare yourselves. Jesus is coming. And I know some of you in this room need to hear Jesus is coming. He sees you. He recognizes you in your health condition, in your financial situation. Jesus is coming. He's going to meet you in that space. The king is coming. But this time it's coming through Mary. And Mary's response is, yeah, yes, let's do this. Because she's rooted herself in the promise. She knew the king is coming. I held on to that hope. A 13-year-old girl with the, with the strength and the perspective to hold on to this news that was coming because she knew it was coming. She just needed the confirmation. Of course, this is how God is going to break in the world. And Mary hears this news and all she can do is sing, friends, because sometimes when you hear this kind of news, you can't just sit there and reason it out and write it down and say, this seems logical. All you can do sometimes is sing. Are you with me? Amen. You sing. It's an utterance of praise. Because all you can do, you can't make sense out of it. And so you enter into song and you begin to sing. And what I love about Mary's song is it goes from an utterance of praise and it begins to turn into a roar. And listen to what she says in her song. God has brought down the rulers from their thrones. In other words, all of these powerful institutions, all of these organizations, all of these CEOs and moguls and empires, they are temporary arrangements at best and they will not last forever. But the kingdom of God, of Jesus, is going to last forever. That prophetic voice that's out there in the margins is beginning to get louder, and the voice from somebody who's been pushed out into the margins begins to sing, and it echoes into history, and then she starts to turn into a roar. She says, God lifts up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, he has sent the rich and powerful away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, to his descendants forever, just as he has promised. And that's the key. She's holding on to the promise. She always knew that the king was coming. And that raises the question, because Mary, are you actually claiming that your baby is going to outlast Caesar? Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Can't you hear the song of Mary echoing into our Christmas songs, echoing, echoing into the history books, echoing into the future? Can't you hear Mary's song echoing in the women of Iran who have said, we've had enough? Can't you hear 
Mary's song echoing into the women in our world who are saying, we've had enough of the patriarchy. We want our voices to be heard. We have been created in the image and the likeness of God. We've had enough. We're rising up and we're singing with an utterance of praise. Do you see what I see? Mary is giving us a picture of how power comes into the world. And it raises the question for us is how does power come into the world, friends? Does it come through Caesar or does it come through people like Mary? Jesus hasn't even been born yet. And we're beginning to see the revolutionary seeds of the Jesus story already gaining steam. It's political, it's subversive, it's defiant, it's calling truth to power. And it's all starting with a 13-year-old girl who just opened up her posture and said, yeah, I'm in, let's do this. Can't you see, friends, that God is always birthing something new, always. He's never sleeping. He's never caught off guard. God is always birthing something new. This is a story about how power comes into the world. This is the Christmas story, not through Caesar and not through a donkey or an elephant, but through Jesus, a lamb in a manger who becomes a lion and begins to roar against the injustices in the world, raising up all of those who have been pushed down and crushed Mary's yes opened the way. It opened it up. That seed that was planted in Mary's song now echoes into the future. Imagine, friends, what your yes could do with that posture, that expectancy, like I always knew you were coming. I knew it. This is a story about underdogs. It's a story about shepherds and mangers filled with animals and about a baby born into a world of poverty and oppression, a story which even pagan astrologers are transformed. That is incredible. What Jesus' story is doing. Do you see what Luke is doing here in his narrative? He's inviting us into another way of living. We don't have to go the way of Caesar. We don't have to. And I know that there's all kinds of Caesars in our society that are demanding our allegiance. And I know that some of us in this room are pressed up against these Caesars who are trying to get our attention, who are screaming at us with their narratives. And I'm inviting us into a different way this morning, into the Jesus story, into the narrative that this is how power comes into the world, not through coercive force, but through servant-like love. This is the story that we're invited into this morning. I think the Christmas story is a subversive masterpiece. Brilliant. Because oppressive power that perpetuates more violence is not the way of Jesus. Servant-like love, radical generosity, opening up to the possibility that God might be doing something even deeper. So the big question of Christmas, and I wanna leave it here with us this morning, is who is Lord, Caesar, or Jesus? Caesar or Jesus? Because it all begins with a teenage girl who opens herself up to whatever God has in mind. And this is why the Jesus story always thrives in the back alleys and the barrios and the AA meetings. And this is why the Jesus story, when it gets all buddy-buddy with systems of power, always loses its steam and becomes something else. Because this is a story about a particular young girl 
who opens herself up and says yes, but it's also a story about injustice everywhere. God's people rising up saying, we've had enough. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And Mary chooses to rejoice in all of the unrest. She makes a choice, I'm going to rejoice. That's my response to the confirmation that I've received. And that's how you receive a gift, friend. You know that it's always coming, that the King is always coming, that Jesus is always coming. Mary believes that God has not forgotten her people. I have not forgotten my people. She believes that God is always at work, always birthing something new. So I invite you this morning to open up your heart to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to Jesus, just to simply surrender your heart that you matter with all your fears and insecurities, all the broken pieces of you, you matter. And that Jesus sees you and wants to meet you in that space So I invite you as we sing this last song together to open up your heart as Whitney and the team sing over us, open up your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, I yield my life to you. Let's do this. Jesus, we honor you in this space and whatever you're doing in the lives of these people in this room, all of us, be glorified, be magnified. We lift you up. Pray that you be Lord over this church, over our city, over the front range, all of Denver, that you would be Lord. We choose to go the way of Jesus. And may you, my friends this morning, may you know that God is for you and not against you. May you know that he sees you that he's going to meet you in your space. And whatever you brought in this morning, may God meet you and give you everything that he has. In his loving grace, receive that gift.